Hey guys, this is Pastor Mark Warren from Church at the Crossroads. Thank you for checking out our podcast. My prayer is that you're encouraged and challenged as you hear, understand, and obey God's Word today. Today we are in Romans chapter 3 and verses 20 through 31. For the first 1,500 years after Jesus rose from the dead, the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Roman Catholic Church, um, was very prominent. And in the 1500s, Martin Luther started to study the Book of Romans in you and I are here today in a non-denominational church because of what started in the 1500s with Martin Luther. And when you think about it historically, I know we have some historical-minded uh, people in here, what took place from these 10 verses is just absolutely incredible. Um, Martin Luther started reading, and he started having questions. And the, the thought is, and it's a very prominent thought that a lot of people bring into the church, they bring into Christianity, this fundamental question, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And how do I obtain salvation? And many years ago, or not many years ago, probably about three years ago, I was in the airport in Nashville, and it was so cool. I went into this place called the Gibson Guitar Cafe. Buddy, that was the coolest place. They had pictures of guitars and all. And there's this guy, and he was playing guitar, and he had his guitar case out, and people would give him tips. I thought it was really cool. And he, he was just laid back, and he was playing songs, and I would say, hey, do you know any Beatles songs? And this and that, and he'd play a Beatles song, and, and he was playing. And then I said, do you know any Christian music? And he says, well, I've got this song that I wrote. He says, I'll play it for you. So he played this song, and the essence of the song is, I'm just trying to work my way to heaven, and I'm being as good as I can. And the thing that a lot of people come to church, and, and we have walked around in the early days that I was here at Crossroads. I know Tyler and I and Amy, we knocked on hundreds of doors just out there taking surveys, talking to people in the neighborhood. And so many people, when you'd say, what do you need to do to go to heaven or whatever, they said, well, I'm trying to be a good person. You know, that's, that's the, the thought. I'm trying to be a good person. Well, how do you know if you've been good enough? And have you heard someone say, I am trying to get to heaven? I've heard people say that throughout my whole life. I was sitting in an insurance office one time and just having a conversation, and, and this person said, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to go to hell. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to be a good person. And people want to uh, convince themselves that they are a good person. And, and this was the culture of the church in the 1500s. 
They were paying for uh, penance and doing all types of things to try to earn a place in heaven. Because people, you know, they, they realize that the Bible has tremendous standards. And maybe some of you here, you know, you've read the Bible and you've said, you know, wow, what God requires is absolutely. And I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I measure up. Some people, you know, they're just doing whatever they do and they're not thinking about it. They're more uh, laissez-faire. But for a lot of people, they're very conscientious and they're very much aware that they're not perfect. And it, and it weighs on them. I've talked to several people, people that I would have never thought would have any question about their salvation. I know when we were doing the Bible study at Beechwood, we would um, talk in Romans and the book of John, and, and people would say, you know, Mark, I, I just, you know, I, I, I felt saved last night, but I didn't feel saved the week before. And it's just, and these are not people out partying and being crazy. These are people going to church on Sunday, on Wednesday, anytime the church opens. These are people investing in the church. These are people praying. These are people worshiping. And yet there's just something, there's just something unsettled in people's souls where they don't have this assurance that it is well with my soul. There's just something going on, and that's what drove this, this young man in the 1500s to study the book of Romans and just study and study and just pray and reason, and it totally changed the, the religious culture of, of the whole world. Even so that after Martin Luther put the 95 Thesis on the door, you know, then there was a, a reform within the Roman Catholic Church. And things have just been rocked. Even our very country probably would not exist apart from the ideas of the Reformation. And you can, it is, that's just not my opinion. That's the opinion of historians, people who are looking at this. The influence of the Reformation was that great. And so what is it? What is it in, in these verses that were so life-changing and so, so powerful. Let's get into these actual words and look at this from the book of Romans. And as we do that, let's pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I thank you for the book of Romans that Paul wrote to a group of people that he had never met before. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that inspired these words God, and that these words speak to us today in such a powerful way that even without commentary or discussion, Lord, they are life-changing. Father, I pray that your word, the truth of your word, would just penetrate the darkness that's in our minds, in our culture. God, that we would see Christ alone in these scriptures. Father God, that you would reveal your very righteousness to us, that he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And Paul writes, By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law was given, the Old Testament law, 
Did it come before the fall or after the fall? The law was given after the fall. And the purpose of the law was to make us aware that we were sinners. The law reveals our sin and our need for God's forgiveness. There's a guy named Ray Comfort who shares the gospel with people. And one thing he does is he, he goes and he asks the person, uh, have you ever sinned? And, and he goes through the Ten Commandments. And, and I, I did this one time with my class. I figured I would try this with a group of sixth graders. I told them, I said, I'd like to give you a test today. They said, well, you didn't tell us about a test. I said, no, this is one we just a kind of a, uh, just an impromptu test to see if we're going to heaven or not. And the kids were kind of intrigued. And uh, I said, yeah. I said, there are 10 questions. And if you get them all right, you're going to heaven. If you miss one, well, you know, we'll talk about that if you miss one. And they said, well, what, what are the questions? I said, well, first off, do you love the Lord your God? With, uh, do you have any idols before God? Uh, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever thought an impure thought? Have you ever been, uh, you know, it says, thou shalt not murder. But then Jesus said, if you think evil of someone and you, you're angry at them uh, without a cause, you know, you've, you've murdered them in the heart. And as we went through the list, have you always honored and respected your parents? And, and you know, very quickly, I mean, the kids not knowing that, you know, what I was going to say, they were like, I failed that test. And we all have. And that's the purpose of the law. The law makes us aware of our sin. And then in that, we come to a condition where we look for help for this problem. Paul writes in the next verse, he says, Now apart, now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. See, at this time, and the people reading this, people were trying to keep, meticulously keep the law and obey what was written in the law. They were trying to love God with their whole heart. They were trying to uh, love their neighbors themselves, and they were focused on that. And the thing is, is on the outward, we might appear that way, but when we look on the inward side, you and I are not able to do that. And a couple weeks ago, we had this conversation, and we talked about the, the fact that we're all sinners, and we talked about how God's righteousness, and in the sight of a holy God, you and I are not perfect. And what Paul says without a doubt is that if keeping the law is the requirement, no one is able to keep the law. Paul says that the person in um, you know, a third world country is a sinner. The person in a religious community is a sinner. The people, uh, good moral people are sinners. And here we are today in their churches all over, I would say probably 50% of the population pre-COVID was going to church. Now, I know COVID has changed that. But before COVID-19 in this area, I would say probably half the people in this community went to church at least a couple times a, a month. And in going to church... 
If you surveyed those people, and maybe even some people, maybe even some of us here today would say, we go to church to be a good person so that God will not be angry with us. And we are trying to make ourselves, and, and what that does is it makes us very judgmental. Because when you think your salvation depends on being a good person, what you really want to do sometimes is saying, well, I'm not like that person. I'm not like that. And we take comfort in the fact that we're not doing these horrible things. And we take the focus off of our, ourselves. Because fundamentally there's an error in our thinking. Because somehow it has crept into our minds that what God requires of us is to be good moral people. And we're trying to do that. But today I want to communicate to you from God's word that that is a non-biblical concept. That that teaching is not in the word of God. In fact, the word of God, and clearly in Romans, is revealing to us that by keeping the law, by trying to be a good moral person, all we will do is expose ourselves as sinners. All we, be, we will become is what Thomas Jefferson experienced. Thomas Jefferson said, I, or actually Ben Franklin, Ben Franklin said, I want to be perfect. So he came up with 13 categories, and he said, I am going to work on these 13 categories, one a day, and I am going to achieve moral perfection. And at the end of this uh, social experiment, Ben Franklin said, what I found is when I worked on one quality, another quality suffered. It's kind of like when I used to try to do diet. I would say, well, okay, well, I'm going to stop eating meat. So then I ate too much sugar and too many vegetables. And then I said, well, I'll go on this low-carb thing. So I stopped doing that, and I ate too much meat because I was not perfect in my diet. And neither are we perfect morally. We make mistakes because you and I are motivated by pride and selfishness. It's the result of our separation from God. And apart from the, the law, salvation must come. Because the law is not, we cannot keep the law. And the Bible says if we break one commandment, we are guilty of all the commandments. So if we are not pure before God, we're not pure. God does for us, however, the Bible says, what we are unable to do for ourselves. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Say that with me. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, this passage is more than just how to be saved. This passage is what is desperately needed in our country today. Because we have a culture that says, these people are wrong because they're that way. Just like a hundred years ago, we had a culture that said, these people are wrong. And then a hundred years past that, these people are wrong. These people are oppressed. These people are the oppressors. 
These people are civilized. These people are barbaric. These people are this way. These people are that way. But you know what? In God's eyes, we're all the same. We are sinners separated from God. The people 200 years ago were selfish. The people 2,000 years ago were selfish and prideful. And we are selfish and prideful. And the sad thing is, without help from something other than ourselves, we can't change. We cannot change. And the harder we try, the more we will become frustrated and aware of that. Ben Franklin was not able to be perfect, and neither will you. Apart from Christ, apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope that people can change from within and truly change. However, in Christ, I can preach with complete confidence that God could bring Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, bin Laden, whoever, whatever situation. And I could say like Paul, I am chief of sinners because Christ showed his mercy in me who deserved death, who was not righteous, who was not pure, who was not holy, that Christ in saving me empowers me to share with other people and in Christ in saving you empowers you to reach out to the worst of the curse. Not to shy away. Well, that person's too bad or that person's got a past. Well, praise the Lord, that's the person you should run to first. They're most likely to be changed because they are least likely to think that they can do it in their own strength. In fact, Jesus would say that the person who thinks that they don't need a Savior, the person who thinks they don't need a physician will remain sick. But the person who realizes that they're sick and in need of a physician will cry out to God and reach out to Christ because the gospel message puts us all in the same category. We need a Savior. And the gospel message results in humility, that we realize that it is in Christ that we're saved. And so when we look at somebody, we don't say, well, Oh, my goodness, that person's not like, I thank God that I am not like that person. That is the beginning of the pride and foolishness that would keep us away from Christ. And even in Christ would divide us and cause us to have divisions when we think that we're better than other people. Because in Christ, we are saved through faith and that God saves all just the same. There is no difference. It took just as much Jesus would have had to die for every one of us. There's none of us that, well, you know, eh, he just needs to be slapped for you. Your sins were not bad. It's not like that. Christ had to die on the cross because all of us have sinned, and that's how God views us. We are saved by faith in Christ, not trying to obey God's laws. So the good news is, and I think this is where some of us uh, can get off track, is we come to Christ, we walk for it, we pray to receive Christ, and then we walk out of the church and, and we think, now I have to keep the law. I came, I asked God to forgive me, I'm in right standing with God, and then if I walk out of here and I sin, 
I got to come back and do it again next week. And that's what the Roman Catholic Church was doing is just over and over. They go out, they sin, they sin, they come back, they take communion. You're clean again. You confess your sin, you're clean again. You walk out and it's the same. Oh, hopefully you don't die during the week. You know, hopefully, you, I mean, hopefully a priest can make it there in time to, to go through and serve you communion. Or you're lost. I mean, the ones who really believe that. Now, there are many people who are saved despite the fact that they believe some beliefs that would keep you from not having a relationship with Christ and the peace of God. God does not want you and I to walk around wondering whether or not we're lost or saved. God does not want us walking around confused about our salvation. In the sin nature, because our hearts are deceitful, and, and we're not right with God, when we think we're lost, rather than trying to get saved, you know what we do sometimes? We act worse because we think there's no hope. I had a friend, he was a pastor, and I went to the church where he was the pastor at, and, and he, um, you know, we, we had went to the same school, and we just hit it off, and we were friends. We would go share the gospel, and he was always preaching about how you had to continue to the end to be saved. And, and while that's true, that's in Scripture, you know, he was so, like, strict about everything and, and so judgmental of people and, and so struggled with that. And the thing is, is I don't know what happened to him, but I guess, you know, finally in his own mind, he started thinking, well, I'm not perfect, so I might as well just live that way. You know, he would say, well, the elect and the elect are going to do this and they're going to do that and they're going to be perfect. And, and, and maybe in his own mind, somehow it just, and he threw it all away. He left his wife, he left Christianity, and he just started living as wild and as crazy and as different from who he was. And I couldn't figure it out. I said, what happened? Did he get to the point where he realized he just wasn't perfect? And rather than cry out to God and trust God and be humbled and seek Christ, he just gave up and said, if I can't live the Christian life, I'm just going to be as wicked and as wild and as vile as possible. You know, I pray that somewhere, somehow, you know, he comes to his senses and returns to Christ. You know, but many people just give up. I knew another man, you know, I worked with this man. He was an incredible pizza guy. I mean, he was just awesome at running the pizza business, you know. He had built uh, a couple, I think we had like five or six stores, and he just did really well with that. And, and I would talk to him about his relationship with God, and he said, well, you know, I actually grew up in a church. He said, I, I grew up in a church. He said, but wine, women, and song got its hold on me, and I couldn't break it. You know, I knew another guy in the same industry. He was a manager, and, and I asked him uh, about his faith, and he said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm on church discipline. I said, what exactly do you mean by that? He said, well, the church allows me to come, but I'm not, I'm not living a holy life. I said, I said, his name was Adam. I said, Adam, what do you mean by that? He says, well, I'm involved in a relationship with a married person. And I said, and you want to continue that? He says, well, I can't, I can't control myself. I said, do you think you're saved? Oh, I know I'm not saved. 
I said, I said, I'm just curious, why are you going to church? I mean, I don't, I mean, what, what's actually going on? Do you not believe Christ can change you? Have you surrendered to him and asked God to forgive you and repented of your sin? Well, I'm, I feel bad about it. I wake up in the middle of the night sometime in a cold sweat because I'm afraid that if I died, I don't want to stand before God in this condition. And, and God is convicting this man. But this, not, this man is not, he's trying to do it all in his own strength. He thinks it's all up to him. He thinks it's all up to him. There's no way he can be righteous, but Christ can change him. Jesus can change this man. See, I've seen these people in my life, and you've seen people like that, and you've seen situations like that, and there is hope, but the hope is not in us. The hope is not in our heart. The hope is in Christ. And the same power that rose Jesus from the dead has to come into you and raise you from the dead. Jesus has to be your Lord and Savior. That's why when you come in here and we worship, we don't worship ourselves. We don't worship ourselves because we don't have that power. But when you and I realize that Jesus forgives us. Jesus gives us eternal life. And when you surrender to Christ, he puts a desire in you to be holy. It doesn't mean you're holy right away. But without Christ, you don't have that desire. But in Christ, you have the desire and you have the humility to be teachable and to humble yourself and ask God to forgive you and other people to help you. And that's what ultimately leads to the change. And when you change, you're the last person that wants to take credit for it. Because you know Christ did it. And you give God all the glory. Because in and of yourself and myself, we can't do it. But he can. Christ can do it, but before a man or woman can get to that point, they must come to an end of themselves. And that's what Paul experienced. Maybe at some point he just threw in a towel and says, I can't do this. Martin Luther experienced that. Have you experienced that? Have you tried to be good? Have you tried to be holy? And just said, you know, I can't do this stuff. And just walked away from it. A guy told me one time we were talking. I had a lot of pizza conversations with people about the Lord. I didn't realize how many of them I had. I was talking to this guy and we were talking about it. He was in, I think he was a Buddhist. But he was saying, you know, I just don't want to do the things the Bible tells me to do. I just don't want to do those things. He says, that's why I can't understand Christianity. I said, Rick, if, if I told you that I only do what is in my desires, would that change your mind? Because when I came to Christ, he changed my desires. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean I always do it. But the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. and He would give you the desires of your heart. 
And what that tells me is that everything you delight in, you will end up doing. You're going to do what you want to do, no matter how much people try to force you to do something, you do what you want to do in life. And the only way for the sinful heart to be changed is for God to change those desires at the cross so that we desire holy things and pure things, and we desire Christ more than anything else. And I said, Christ changed me and put new desires in my heart. He goes, I've never thought about it like that. Well, that's what Jesus did. Paul says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Billy Graham says, the motive of grace is the infinite, compassionate love of a merciful God. But the work of grace was the death of Christ on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all our sin. He took our place. He took our punishment. He took our, our, our guilt, our shame, and took that all away. So we exchange our guilt, our shame, our unholiness for his righteousness and purity. In the Old Testament, God met his people at the mercy seat. It was a place where God, had, God spoke to the people. In the New Testament, God meets us at Christ. The Old Testament says, you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and on the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you, and there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. Apart from Christ, you and I cannot approach God. Not only can we not be holy and pure, not only can we not save ourselves, we can't even communicate with God. That's why to a lost person, God is a million miles away. What shall they do? What shall we tell someone who is a million miles away from God? We should take them to Christ. In the New Testament, Christ is the mercy seat of God in Christ whom God set forth as a propitiation, that means an atonement by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Propitiation means atonement, somebody atoning for our sins, who is Christ. Because in his patience, forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness our salvation includes justification, redemption, atonement, and forgiveness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. How do we know that we have this salvation? How do we know? Do you treat, do you trust in your good works? Many people in the church feel good. They want to do things that make them, it, feel good. it feels good to be nice to people. It feels good to be kind. Are you trying to work your way to heaven? Are you and I, are we trying to, do enough good deeds that they'll outweigh the bad deeds? Do you hope that these somehow you did more good than you did bad? None of those things will satisfy. None of those things will give you peace of mind. 
Do you trust the finished work of Christ that everything needed for your salvation was accomplished on the cross and that the only possible or only reasonable uh, response is to humble yourself and trust Christ? When we trust Christ alone for our salvation, it results in humility because we realize we couldn't have done it ourselves. It results in love because people are all the same. People are not horrible, evil, sorry, nasty people while we're good, but we're all the same. We're in humanity. We're not perfect. I might not make the same mistakes. I mean, this week, I have just, some of the, this, the hypocrisy of what goes on in our world. Now, I don't approve or agree with anything that Gruden did. It's horrible. But to see people criticize him when you can read a rap sheet this long of domestic violence, drugs. I mean, what are we thinking when you look at words? When you think of a singer, and I don't know why, I just read this crazy article. It was about the singer, singer of uh, Aerosmith and some of the foolishness that he did. And Amy gives me this look. Don't go into the details, Mark. <laughs> I'm not. But some of, the, <laughs> some of the horrible stuff he did. And he hasn't been canceled. He hasn't been called out. You know, we're, we're still listening to his music. And yet we're calling people out. We're canceling people. Guess what, folks? We all need to be canceled. Every one of us. We are sinners, and we sin, and we hurt people, and we hurt ourselves, and we lie, and we do things that are wrong, and we're not perfect, and we need a Savior, and we need to humble ourselves and receive God's salvation through Christ. And then we, we need to turn around and look at other people and love them. Why? Because Jesus told us to. Love your neighbor, love your enemies. He didn't say, love people like yourself. He certainly didn't say, love all the holy people like you are. No, we love people because we're on equal ground. We're saved by grace in Christ. And yeah, we're not perfect. And we're, we're with other imperfect people trying to learn how to love each other. And it shouldn't be as hard as we make it. And why is it so hard? Because we're allowing pride. And maybe, just maybe, some of us are working our way to heaven rather than trusting what Christ did. Maybe some of us sometimes, you know, Billy Graham used to say, and I could still see Billy Graham doing this. You know, he used to say, if I could work my way to heaven, I would strut around like I was some type of special person. And I think we got a lot of people strutting around, filling our churches with a judgmental, prideful spirit because they somehow made it. And the rest of us sinners just aren't quite like them. Well, that's not reality. And they're going to burst hell wide open because no self-righteousness will please a holy God. God is holy and apart from the mercy and grace extended to us through Christ, we are not right in his sight. We are imperfect in his sight. And it is through Christ that we come. And we come in humility, not in pride. We come on bended knee. We come broken. 
We come crying out to God. We come desperate. And we come loving and treating other people like us. We don't walk up there like we're in the special section. We're all broken before Christ. It also gives us hope. People give up. Men realize as they get older that they've made a mess of their lives. They've hurt people. They've hurt themselves. And they feel hopeless. And they, they feel despair. Right, there's more suicide. Amy talked about this the other, other night, Wednesday night. There's more suicide now than there's ever been. There's a spirit of hopelessness, of despair. And in Christ, there is hope. Because when I look out at the world, you know, I'm, I can talk to someone who's lost. I have something to say. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to get to a level. They don't have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and self-improve until they get to the point where they can do it. They need to simply come to Christ, and Christ changes a man. And it is through him, because in Christ we have mercy and forgiveness. Christians, as Christians, we should be the most loving, forgiving, humble people on the face of the earth. And we should believe that every person is within just simply being, hearing the gospel and responding. Because if we will share the gospel with people who are lost, there are enough people in our community who feel the weight of their sin and the guilt and the shame from the social isolation that their own choices have caused. That the love and hope found in Christ and acceptance of the people of God because when we bring people in, we're not bringing in a bunch of losers that are below us. We're bringing in people just like us, sinners saved by grace. And they shouldn't walk in here and feel like, oh, they're way up there and I need to climb up to their social status. They should say, wow, finally I'm at home. There's people who love me and accept me as I am, because they are like me, forgiven based on mercy and grace, not performance, not social status, not identity. Their identity in Christ, not their culture, not their ethnic identity, not their economic identity, not the rich and the poor, not the oppressor and the oppressed, but Christ, Christ who saves all, Christ who brings all together to be with God based on the merit and the righteousness of the one who is perfect, the one you desire in your mind, that craving for perfection and order and righteousness that cannot be satisfied by self-promotion or self-righteousness. It is only satisfied through Christ. And without Christ, what does is, what is our good works religion look like? Pride, selfish motives, despair, and judgment of others. That's what it looks like when we work for our salvation. And that's the recipe for a social disaster. And that's why we have so much disunity in the culture. Because we are trying to work ourselves 
to heaven rather than receive the gift of Christ. Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. It's all about him. It's all for him. And when you and I surrender to him, he lives for us the life he expects of us. Christ lives it in us. Paul said, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Thanks for joining us today. Visit us at crossroadsahoski.com for more information, additional resources, and service times.